All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the second letter to the Corinthians. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 16 through 33. And in the context of the letter, Paul is directly confronting the false teachers there in Corinth by subverting their boast with his own boast. And his boast focuses on his humble, self-sacrificial approach to ministry. And really what it boils down to is this. Since the false super apostles want to boast and commend themselves, Paul will basically do it too. He'll do it begrudgingly, but he'll do it. All right, you want to play that game? I'll play that game. But Paul's boast is completely upside down. It's like an anti-boast. And so we saw in the first half of chapter 11, Paul really began that by saying, bear with me in a little foolishness, and he's going to boast, and he boasts in his specific approach to ministry where he would come to town and preach it free of charge. He's going to continue the boast here in this section with a full-on speech of boasting. It's just not the kind of boasting you would expect. So Paul says in chapter 11, verse 16, Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish so that I may also boast a little. This picks back up where chapter 11 began in verse 1 when he says, bear with me a little foolishness. We're picking back up at that point. And since boasting is such a big deal in Corinth, and since it was such a big deal for these people who have come in from the outside, Paul says, all right, I'm going to boast a little, but it'll be more like an anti-boast. He's going to boast in all the wrong sorts of things like an upside down or backwards boast. And so he says, here we go. Um, Let me boast a little bit. Verse 17, what I am saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. In other words, he's what he's getting at is saying like, I don't really want to do this, but since you guys are so big on boasting and it's so important to you, I'll be foolish enough to play the game and join in. That's what he's saying in verse 17. Then he goes on in verse 18 and says, since many boast according to the flesh, okay, I will too. All right, I'm going to play this game. Paul sees this whole exercise as foolish, but for the sake of the Corinthians and his ministry among them, he feels compelled to play their game. And since foolish boasting is the order of the day, he's going to do it. He's just going to play by different rules. So he says in verse 19, For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. Again, a little sarcasm towards the Corinthians. He's he's encouraged them to bear with him. He's just telling them, you guys, you know, tolerate foolish people so uh, gladly because he sees this whole thing of boasting as foolish. And yet they've been kind of bought into it and they've been convinced by it. And he just is like, it's foolish and you put up with it. All right, here we go. Four, verse 24, you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, if anyone hits you in the face. Again, sarcasm, a little jab at the Corinthians. They're bearing with the super apostles is what led to all of this. And he's like, man, you just put up with it if people enslave you, which again, uh, cultural value to be enslaved for people who think they're so smart and so important. This would be like, ah, oh, right? It's sarcasm, kind of jabbing at them. If anyone devours you, takes advantage of you, you put up with all of that so great. Uh, And it refers to their bearing with the super apostles. And he says, verse 21, to my shame, 
I must say we've been too weak by comparison for that. Again, sarcasm. Like, oh, I'm so ashamed to say that I, I didn't enslave you. I didn't devour you. I didn't take advantage of you. I didn't hit you in the face. I didn't promote myself and exalt myself among you. I'm too weak for that. Again, he's playing off of all the accusations these super apostles have made against him. Um as he sets up his boast. And then he goes on and says in the second half of verse 21, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I'm speaking in foolishness, I too am bold. And the word translated bold more literally is to dare. That is, in whatever way they dare to boast, well, guess what? Paul will dare to boast too. But he emphasizes he doesn't like this game and he sees it as foolishness. And so here it comes. Paul's going to boast, and as we've said, it's an upside-down boast. It's like reverse credentials. It's almost all the very kind of stuff that has been used against him to show his weakness, and Paul's not going to back down from it. And because he sees it as so foolish, and because of the way he approaches it, some scholars have actually labeled this as Paul's fool's speech. He starts his boast with the usual stuff, but then it takes a really sharp turn from there. So verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Like, we all have the same kind of genetic credentials here. I actually come from the same Jewish background that these super apostles do. And so they have nothing on me on that. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm speaking as if I'm insane. I'm crazy for about what, I, what I'm about to say. And Paul says, I'm more so. And so Paul is now, at this point, he's, he's, he's going to play their game. He doesn't like it. He thinks it's crazy. It makes him uncomfortable. You get that sense through this whole thing. Keep in mind from the first part of the letter of 2 Corinthians that Paul's weakness and suffering was being used as a strike against him. But for Paul, as he explained there in chapters 3, 4, and 5, it's, it, his weakness and suffering is the very embodiment of the gospel he preached. And so what credentials Paul as a servant of Christ? Well, it's his embodying of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so when he says, "Am I? A, are they servants of Christ? I am more so. What Paul's going to go on to boast about is his weakness and his suffering because that in his mind is what credentials him as a servant of Christ. And so that's why we said this is sort of like an anti-boast. And what's really fascinating as he lists off all these things we're about to read is that most of the specific things he mentions aren't even recorded in the book of Acts. I mean, we know a lot of his weaknesses and sufferings from Acts, and he gives us insight into things we didn't even know about that aren't mentioned there. So here's what he says. Uh, Are they servants of Christ? I'm more so. And here's how Paul proves it. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. These are all like kind of generic statements, uh, the kinds of things his opponents have used against Paul. But for Paul, they are the evidence of his loyalty to Jesus and his faithfulness in serving him as an apostle. They are the way he embodied the gospel about Jesus King. And so this is what he's going to boast in. And then he gets specific in the following verses. He says in verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Uh, this was a punishment that, that Jews would give when they excommunicated someone from the synagogue, where they would whip them 39 times. The law specified, the Old Testament law, no more than 40 lashes. So the Jews would do 39 just in case they miscounted. And Paul's like, I experienced this whipping five different times. 
verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. We know of one from the book of Acts. That's what happened in Philippi in Acts 16 when he was beaten with rods. But he says that happened two other times besides that. Once I was stoned, that is pummeled with stones in an attempt to kill him. And we know when that happened, that's mentioned in Acts chapter 14 at the city of Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent adrift at sea. Now, we actually know of a shipwreck in the book of Acts, but that's, that shipwreck in Acts 27 occurs after this time period when Paul writes this. And so prior to the one mentioned in Acts, there were three other shipwrecks that aren't even mentioned in the book of Acts. And on one occasion, Paul spent a whole night and day adrift at sea until he finally was rescued or came uh, to some land. Uh, then he says in verse 26, I've been on frequent journeys, and we know that from the book of Acts as well, all sorts of journeys all over the place. And then he just then he just lists off a whole host of things. In dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brethren. Like, all the things on the midst of all his journeys and travels to different cities and different places and all that that entailed uh, brought upon him all sorts of possible dangers that he faced during this whole time period. He continues in verse 27 and says, I have been in labor and hardship. And these two words together refer to grueling and exhausting and difficult work. And Paul says, that was the, that's been the nature of my service to Jesus is grueling and exhausting and difficult work through many sleepless nights for the sake of ministry or preaching late or working late for his own room and board or in prison and he can't sleep or as noted above when he's adrift at sea right through many sleepless nights for the sake of serving Jesus in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure like all these sorts of things Paul experienced in his service to Jesus and in Paul's mind and Paul's understanding of what it means to serve and follow Jesus, these are the things that credential him for ministry. It doesn't matter that his opponents were using these things against him. Paul's not going to back down. It is his self-sacrifice, his self-lowering, his self-emptying for the sake of Jesus that he says, this is what proves I actually am a servant of Jesus far more than my opponents. Then he says in verse 28, and apart from such external things, all those other things he's just listed off, those are external things. He says, apart from that, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. This is almost like a climax of this list, and it hits very close to home because Paul's extremely concerned about the Corinthian church, and that's shown up in this letter. But it's not just the Corinthians. It's all the churches. He's concerned about them, and he's worried about them, and he wants to make sure that they're, they're being faithful to Jesus and all of that. And so he's concerned about them, and he says in verse 29, who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Like, he feels it. He's, he's worried about the churches, and he wants them to be strong and stable in the faith. And if, if some church is led into sin, or some individual in a church is led into sin, it causes Paul deep concern because he realizes how destructive that is. And then Paul says, if I have to boast... I will boast of what pertains to my weaknesses. And so even though his weaknesses are the very things that are being used against him, Paul's like, if you want to play the boasting game, fine, I'll play it, but I have a different scorecard. I will boast in what pertains to my weaknesses.
Then he says in verse 31, The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In other words, God knows that boasting in weakness is Paul's true posture in ministry. This is the way he operates, and God will vouch for him. Uh, God will vouch for the fact that the things that Paul just listed off, these are things Paul's really undergone, and they are what really credential him in ministry. And then Paul wraps up this little section here in chapter 11 by giving a very specific example. It actually feels a bit random at the end of the chapter. It's like it comes out of nowhere. But what it seems to highlight is that from the very beginning of Paul's ministry is that he has suffered and he has suffered for Jesus. And so I suspect that's the point. Right from the beginning, from the very moment Paul began serving Jesus, he has suffered on his behalf and it illustrates the truthfulness of his testimony about suffering for Jesus. And so he gives an example here in verses 32 and 33 that comes from the very, very beginning of Paul's service to Jesus. He says this, In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. This occurs not long after his conversion, and you can actually read Paul's conversion account in Acts chapter 9. Paul's on his way to Damascus originally to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And it is on the way to Damascus when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and has this encounter that leads to his conversion. So you can read all of that in Acts chapter 9. And Acts 9 even tells about this escape from Damascus. But this little uh, account of it here in 2 Corinthians adds a couple of details that are important because they help actually sort out some things elsewhere in Paul's letters. So here's what's said in Acts chapter 9. It says, when many days had elapsed. So Paul's been in Damascus. He's been preaching and teaching. Luke has told us that in Acts chapter 9. And then Luke gives this little general phrase, when many days had elapsed. Just saying, okay, long time has passed. The Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also closely watching the city gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him at night, led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. So you can hear a lot of the details are the same uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, 32 and 33 that show up in Acts chapter 9, 23 through 25. But Acts chapter 9 highlights that the Jews were... Uh, are the ones who plotted together uh, to do away with him. Second uh, Corinthians 11 mentions the ethnarch under Aretas, the king. Who is that? Well, Aretas is the king of the Arabians. And he's got an ethnarch, that is a, a nobleman, a representative, stationed in Damascus. So what we learn by putting these two accounts together is that the Jews had this plot and it also entailed this representative who serves the king of the Arabians. Why are the Arabians involved in this? Well, we learn from Galatians chapter 1 that Paul had actually done some preaching in Arabia. He went away to Arabia and did some preaching shortly after his conversion. Now, he didn't have to go that far. Literally, if he just went out almost the east gate of uh, Damascus, you you didn't have to go too far before you were into the region ruled by Aretas, the king of Arabia. That's why there's an ethnarch in the city of Damascus. And so Paul 
is converted, comes to Christ in Damascus, does some preaching and teaching there, leaves the city and goes to some other towns and cities uh, that are under the control of Arabia, and preaches there, comes back to Damascus, and now you've got this death plot on his life that involves the Jews and the Arabian um, representative in the city of Damascus itself, but Paul manages to escape. All of this is what's being mentioned here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 32 through 33. And the point of it all is, is that right from the beginning of his serving of Jesus, suffering came Paul's way. He has learned that this is the way to embody the message of Jesus, and that's what he's going to boast in. He has had years and years of living this way and serving Jesus this way, really two decades of ministry by this point, and it's all entailed suffering right from the get-go. And what Paul's example shows us here in this account of a bunch of his sufferings is this, that Paul is a good disciple of Jesus, that he knows that the, the way to follow Jesus is to take up your cross and follow him. He knows that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. He knows that Jesus is the one who said, the one who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He knows that Jesus is the one who said, the greatest among you must be the servant of all. And that's become the heart and soul of Paul's ministry. He learned that lesson really from the beginning on, and Paul has internalized it deeply, and his whole ministry is shaped by it. So, as a good disciple of Jesus, he's not going to exalt himself. He's not going to promote himself. He's not going to advantage himself and serve himself. He's going to lay down his life for the sake of others and for the sake of Jesus who laid down his life for him. That's what it means to be a good disciple of Jesus. That's what Paul's ministry embodies. And that's why when Paul boasts here, his boast is an anti-boast. It's an upside-down boast. It's not the kind of things the world boasts in. It's the kind of things someone who is taking up his cross and following Jesus boasts in. And Paul is very much that man. He is that servant of Christ. And he shows us what it looks like for each of us to take up our cross and follow Jesus as well. All right, thanks for tuning in to this session on the listener's commentary on the New Testament. The listener's commentary is a listener-supported ministry made possible by other people's sacrifice and generosity. So thanks a ton for your support. God is bearing good fruit because of your sacrifice and your generosity. So may God be praised and may you be blessed because of it.